and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as a North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Kevin Folger with Labors in the Harvest podcast, and we are glad that you've joined us today. We're excited about uh, this next three weeks as we will have three segments of a conversation with missionary evangelist Brother Walter Stevens. Brother Walter Stevens is a fourth generation uh, part of what we call the Roma culture, or better known as the Gypsy people. And uh, God has done a great work in his life, and he's going to talk to us about that, not only his salvation, but also the call to ministry and what God is doing in and through his life. And I hope that you'll take the next three weeks to join us each week as we drop a segment each week. Thanks again for being here today. Let's pick up part one of our conversation with missionary evangelist, Brother Walter Stevens. Hello, Kevin Folger here. We want to thank you for being a part of today's podcast of Labors in the Harvest. And I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today a good friend, a man that I've known since 1990, Brother Walter Stevens. And uh, Brother Walter, thank you for being a part of uh, Labors in the Harvest podcast today. It's my pleasure, Pastor. Thank you for allowing me to participate. All right. Well, you have a really, really unique story. And uh, I'm excited for our listeners to uh, hear the, the story of how God has worked in the life of Walter Stevens. And so I want us to back up and I want you to tell folks a little bit about your background and um, you know your life, because your life is a little unique than most Americans. So would you kind of just kind of fill in the folks? Of, uh... Sure, I would. Thank you, Pastor. I'd love to. Uh, I'm a fourth generation gypsy raised here in the United States. And I know some would hear the term gypsy and not recognize who or what they are. Uh, politically correct, they're the Roma people. But the gypsies are uh, an ethnic uh, minority that left India about 1000 AD. And they're still, matter of fact, they're still a remnant of them. They're called the Banjaras. And they're from northern uh, India. And even a large part of them are in Pakistan, an area called Hyderabad. And when they left, they came into uh, Eastern Europe, of course, and they were enslaved in the mid 1400s and got their emancipation when the emancipation movement moved around the world. Uh, my family uh, came into the United States in the early 1900s. And uh, I was raised in a traditional gypsy home, married within uh, the gypsy culture. I was only 16 years old. My marriage was prearranged by my parents. And uh, we fell into the typical gypsy lifestyle here in the United States. And it's a long history, but I'll give a brief uh, update on why uh, the gypsies lived the way they did in the States. But Hitler killed 600,000 of my people in the Holocaust. It's documented. If you were to go to the National Holocaust Museum in Washington, there isn't a room that's totally depicted to them. But there is a room that has gypsy artifacts and a gypsy wagon. But uh, Hitler killed them. And 
not to forget the six million Jews and the hundreds of thousands of military allied personnel that died in that war. But as a result, when the gypsies left Europe and came to America, it was almost like a chip on their shoulder attitude. And so they're not antisocial, but they're asocial, not blending in any society, any culture, anywhere in the world. And the uh, National Geographic says there's 40 million around the world. The U.S. government says there's a million. I don't know how they come up with those numbers. I think their numbers are too low, uh, but they're just it's difficult to count them. And anyways, um, uh, married at the age of 16, uh, I was a con man in a traveling carnival in the spring and summer months. And my late wife, Dolly, was a fortune teller in the fall and winter months. And uh, my goal was to be a millionaire by the time I reached the age of 40. At the age of 25, I was on my way to satisfying that goal. But Pastor, one day I just got up completely disillusioned, completely disenchanted with life and the way I was living. I was uh, tired of the fake. I was tired of the pretend. I was tired of the phony. I wanted genuine. I wanted real. I wanted truth. But you have to understand something. Truth is foreign to me. I was raised to lie, steal, cheat uh, for a living. If I performed the con, my parents would reward me. If I didn't perform the con, my parents would reprimand me. And so it would, that would confuse a 10-year-old boy. Uh, I know some people would say that they found Jesus, but that's not biblical. Luke 19.10 says, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The truth of the matter is, I wasn't looking for truth. Truth was looking for me. And that truth, of course, was a person, the Lord Jesus, who he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And a fellow carnival worker who had just gotten saved witnessed to me in October 4th, 1980. I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. My life was dramatically changed. It was instantaneous. Left many things. I won't list them. But came out of fortune telling, parked a carnival equipment, and got involved in a good independent Baptist church in Southwest Ohio, where we were discipled, yeah, where I answered the call, where I served, I became an assistant pastor uh, until God burdened us to reach our own people. Okay, well, let's back up just a little bit because obviously that's a lot to uh, digest in a, in a short amount of time. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Roma people themselves. So you say they came uh, originally from India. And uh, is, is it your understanding that there's, if I can use the word conclaves or groups of Roma across the face of the world, almost in every, in every continent. Yes, there is. Okay. Yes, there is. Okay. All right. And then also from my understanding, um, from what I've, the time that I've spent with you and, and with brother Lawrence and, 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 um, uh, and brother Nick, the thought is that most of the time, the gypsy people always congregate together or the Roma people kind of congregate. They're kind of separate and segregated yeah. from the rest of society, right? Well, yeah. And, and the reason being, when you're almost annihilated, the Jews would be a great example of that the Jews don't just uh, congregate together because of their Jewish faith, mm -hmm. uh, because even the more liberal Jews still congregate together. And that's because you're almost annihilated. Mm -hmm. And when you're almost annihilated, walls go up. Mm -hmm. And walls are good. They keep bad things out, but they also keep good things out like the gospel. And okay. so we are a closed society. Okay. All right. So, um, and then um, being raised in that particular culture and then coming to faith in Christ. And you were, what, 25, 26 when you became, became a believer? 25 years old. Yes, sir. 25. So 
Um, what were some of the things, uh, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about your conversion, first of all, because uh, you say it was a fellow carnival worker. Was that person also Roma? No, he was not. And be, we're a closed society, so we would never listen to someone outside of our culture to tell us anything about religion. Of course, there were no gypsy churches or pastors. So we created our own system. It, it reminds me about, about Paul talking about the Jews that said uh, they being ignorant of God's righteousness went about to establish their own righteousness and had not submitted the righteousness of God. So we created our own system of belief. But uh, I'm also, I was also part of another culture and that's the carnival culture. And that's a world in of itself. So here I am in these two societies and these two did blend, even mm -hmm. though the carnival culture is not all gypsy, of course, they did blend. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, as um, as this I, matter of fact, I was raised from a small boy with the man who led me to Christ. We were childhood friends. His company owned the ride company out of Canton, Ohio. It was Dine Amusement Company. Uh, but Mr. Dine had grown up to be a very evil man, worse than we were on drugs and alcohol and and um, but we had heard that he had become a born again Christian. And of course, we had carnival concessions. You just can't set up your carnival concessions in a field or a parking lot. You have to have the ride company. They draw the people. Mm -hmm. And so we felt that uh, Mr. Dine becoming religious might have changed him, that we could tolerate working with him. And, and it was true. Uh, we know it was a religion. It was the new birth. But. Very early in the spring of 1980, I saw a dramatic change in Mr. Dine's life. Mm -hmm. He was off of drugs and alcohol, and his, his life was just completely different. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, he began to witness to me, and he was a young Christian. He didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, but he said three words to me, Pastor, in the spring of 1980 that I couldn't get out of my head. And he said, you need Jesus. Mm. And those three words just went round and round and round until it pierced my heart the fall of that year. Okay. So it was basically the change that you saw in his life. Yeah. And the credibility of what he was saying that really yeah. God used almost like the apostle Paul was Stephen, you know, that's what, exactly uh, right. Yeah. And you know, some people had told me the gospel before had witnessed to me before, but their life wasn't matching up what they were saying. Right. And Mr. Dine's life was so different that nothing could have changed him, but something from the Lord. Okay, so you're then saved, and yes, then God begins to make these changes in your life. So let's yes, talk sir. a little bit about that. So it wasn't well, just cold turkey, it was a, a gradual? Yeah, well, uh, no, church was gradual, because Mr. Dine was such a young Christian that he didn't direct us to church, so we didn't know where to go to church. I didn't know Baptist from Buddha. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we came home, we were raised Catholic, but not practicing, you know, it mm -hmm. wasn't even Easter and Christmas, it was infant baptisms and funerals, because they were less frequent. But we tried to go to the Catholic Church, believe it or not. But of, of course, we're reading the word, and it's just not matching. So we, we prayed that God would direct us and God directed us to a good independent Baptist church in Southwest Ohio. And that's when we got really grounded. But by that time, I didn't even know the terms for the doctrines, but I knew what I believed. And so when I heard eternal security, I didn't know it was called that. I knew I couldn't lose my salvation. And, and by that time, we're out of fortune telling. The carnival equipment is being parked. 
because uh, we, we it contradicted church. And so when we got grounded in church, that's when the, the service for the Lord began. Well, most of our listeners, of course, would understand that because uh, the primary folks that listen to the podcast would be people who, of course, are greatly involved in ministry, many pastors yeah. and missionaries, and those that are perhaps having an ambition to be so. So they understand that. But maybe there's someone who's listening today who, you know, they're just new. And so, again, we understand the importance of the local church and it's yeah. God's really organism. Uh, his way of, of helping believers become everything that God wants. Them to That's do. right. That's right. When we, uh, when we came out of fortune telling and our family, many of our family members ostracized us from the culture, but that was of the Lord too, pastor, because in that time being separated by traditional gypsies who were still involved in all those other things, it got us grounded in the local church and the church family became more family to us than blood relatives. Mm -hmm. And that was jet fuel to our spiritual growth. Good. Well, let's talk a little bit about that local church and what the pastor there did to, to help you. So you're a young family that comes walking in. He doesn't know, I would know that perhaps uh, initially he would know that you were Roma. So how did that kind of unfold and, and Talk to me a little bit about that, that process. You know, what we have in our mind of what genuine Christianity is and what we see many times, and I don't want to be critical, and what we see is a contradiction. But what we saw by, our, by what we were reading in the Word, by what God was doing in our own personal lives, we saw genuine Christianity. We saw people uh, bringing their Bibles to church. You didn't do that in the Catholic Church. We saw people staying for the duration of the services. We had learned in the Catholic Church to slip out the back door during communion time. And we saw Christians saying after the services were over, they were doing something we knew nothing of. They were fellowshipping one with another. But then the thing that got me the most, preacher, was when God's man would preach God's word by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and I like I had already been reading volumes of the Word of God. I got saved. I fell in love with Jesus. I want to know more about him. And, of course, I have six months of the year to myself because there's no carnivals. <laughs> I just would lay on the sofa. I didn't have to work anymore. We never made enough money. And I would drink in volumes of the Word of God. So he's pouring in fuel on what I already have read mm -hmm. and maybe solidified some truths, answered some questions. And that was the thing that got me the most. And then on top of that, that no matter where we came from, no matter what our spiritual level of maturity was, we could get plugged in and serve the Lord. And he began putting us in places of service. And you, I don't have to tell you what that's like, preacher. You're a young believer and you want you can't pay Jesus back, but you want to do something. Sure. You want to just try to serve him some way. And mm -hmm. we had those opportunities. And that was, that was jet fuel, fuel to our spiritual growth as well. Well, we can't we can't overemphasize you know that early part of our life where we really get grounded when God begins to do yeah. that great work in our life and yeah. again coming back to the importance of the church. That's we're, right. We're living in a day and age when uh, again there's a minimization in some respects of the importance of the church when really there ought to be a greater emphasis on it as the day yeah. days get shorter and the, exactly coming of the Lord draws right. near. You know, so much the more the Bible says to the coming That's of the Lord. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, let's uh, let's kind of wrap up our conversation here today. We'll drop it there, and I want to when we come back next week. I want to talk to you about God's process and in uh, the call to ministry and and the development of all that. So again, we want to thank our listeners for being a part of today's podcast. We hope that you'll join us next week uh, for more Labors in the Harvest. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, this uh, particular segment of our conversation with evangelist, missionary evangelist, uh, Brother Walter Stevens. I sure have enjoyed uh, talking to him again, and I appreciate the fact that he could sit down and give me some of his time. Want you to uh, let others know about this particular uh, conversation, and again, if you found it interesting, please pass that along to someone else. We're so uh, grateful to uh, those folks who are regular uh, listeners to this particular podcast. Would you let others know about it? Once again, we're grateful to have you as uh, part of our conversation today, listening in as I've had this conversation with Walter Stevens. Join us again next week for part two. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. Mm-hmm.